Welcome to the Pandora Podcast, where fellowship-trained pain specialists Dr. Melissa Cady and Dr. Kevin Cucaro reveal the secrets of pain care, including harmful practices, healthy tips, and the hope found through the science of pain. Please note, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. Please discuss your medical issues with your personal health professional. For more information and free resources, visit Pandora.com. Now on to the show. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Pandora Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Katie. How are you doing today, Dr. Katie? I am doing awesome. I've had a fantastic, interesting day, and I'm sure we're going to dive into some interesting conversation as well. So I'm glad to be joining you. Always good information. And, and just for you guys uh, to remember here, so Dr. Kevin, mines that's my first name because my last name is too long to use. Kukaro is too long. Dr. Katie, that's her last name. So that's actually the correct way to do it, Dr. Katie, um, because her first name is longer than her last name. Yeah, and everyone messes up my last name, so we just keep training people on how to <laughs> training, say it. Training people. Well, yeah. Neuroplasticity. Dr. Well, I just don't, I don't want them to think that your name is Katie, right? And then right. Dr. Katie, K-A-T-I-E rather than C-A-D-Y. Exactly. But, all right, we like to mix things up, keep it a little bit, um, you know, on your toes here. So for today's episode of the Pain Dart Podcast, what we're going to be talking about is the challenges of pain, and specifically why it is from both of our opinions as quote unquote fellowship trained pain specialists, uh, why it is that, that anyone, everyone should learn about pain. And what do we mean by that is if you think about it, how many, how many of you watching this are truly interested in the science of pain or learning more about pain? Um, my guess is that most of you are either struggling with it right now. So you're kind of in the throes and you're looking for something to make it better. Um, other people maybe have a family member, there may be a few cl- clinicians that are watching this that are struggling with, with working with people with pain. The very, very few people I would say are actually interested in understanding pain for themselves. Um, and I can't think of anything that is more important. Uh, well, very, very few things in this world are more important than understanding pain. But Dr. Katie, what would you say about that? I absolutely agree. I think that uh, I think that's where our conversation leads into is that where is this why is this such a big challenge to convince people that pain is an important aspect to understand, to try to have the skill sets to master their pain? Um, you know, I have close friends and relatives that, you know, they even say like, I, I don't, this is like, if you go into detail, it's just too much. Like your system is on overload because you're dealing with pain and you just, you can't think straight and you don't care. You just want the pain to go away. And that's a really difficult time to really give people a deep understanding and not this peripheral superficial thing, because a lot of times you can say things that it might make some, some logical sense to them and they nod their head, but they're like, okay, well, I just need this to go away. And yeah, that's a good point. There's like almost two, well, no, there's three different phases that you're kind of thinking about here. You can either before you have pain or experience pain while you're in the middle of like a pain crisis or a flare of pain. And then there's the aftermath. So the interlude after you've experienced pain. And the ideal scenario is really to, to learn in advance of, of that flare or in advance of that acute episode or that, or when you're in the throes of pain. Um, But virtually nobody is interested unless they've experienced it, unless they're in that interlude, if they've already experienced it, they struggled with it and they have, have had that challenge. 
um, then sometimes they might be interested in learning about it, but it's very, very hard to get anybody into a preventive sort of attitude when it comes to pain. Now, granted, that's not unique to pain. That's sort of healthcare in general, because we are so, um, you know, we talk a big talk about preventive care, but the actual initiation and the motivation and the drive to continue to do regular behavioral lifestyle change could be quite challenging. You know, things like diet, things like exercise, things like, uh, you know, stress, stress management, things like that. Um, but for pain, I think it's, it's really, really important because if we could get in front of it, we can actually make those acute flares less. We can make people or help people to recover from them faster uh, and really not have the, the, what I would say the negative repercussions or, the, or extended fear become more and more scared of pain, which actually uh, makes things worse over time. Right. Well, you made me think um, just this conversation about of how, how it gets so difficult to deal with it in the midst of it. It almost seems like it's best to kind of describe it as a fog. You know, when you're in the midst of the fog, you can't see clearly. It's, it's too overwhelming. You can't see straight, you know, in the, in the way that you need to. And until you are outside the fog, whether it's on the front end or the back end, you can't really appreciate the things that you need to appreciate. And, you know, I, I, I do think that, um, you know, there's, there's so many things that people could learn if they would just, you know, feel the way we do about it. But of course, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, what's happening out there is that so many people have been in the fog and reaching out for anything to just with promise or hope or the system tells them will fix them, um, even though fixing is a very loaded term there. You know, if, if they're doing all these things, unfortunately, many of the times it's the people that get harmed or have spent their all their money are in debt and bankruptcy or they're just literally in some other kind of pain too either this lack of hope or financial uh, pain, some other kind of pain where they finally realize, and not all of people, but it's those people that recognize something's not right and there is a better way and there's an empowerment from within to seek out that hope and or other options that they realize is probably a better answer. Um, but we don't want people to have to get to that point, um, unfortunately. So yeah, I think, I think that's where the, I just wish people didn't have to go through that. Yeah. Well, I've, and I'm going to, I love that analogy. I'm just going to change it to smoke rather than fog. Cause it oh, fits, yeah. it, it goes with fire. your triangle. It goes with yeah. the fire. Yeah. With the fire triangle. <laughs> um, because I, you know, it's, it's just like if you're in a, in a, in this massive burning, whatever, a burning house or whatever, and it's filled with smoke and there's flames everywhere, you're not going to want to spend, or even if someone, oh, this is how fire is constructed. There's fuel, oxygen, heat. And you're going to, you know, you need to know that. And then you can actually put out your fire. All you want to know is how am I going to breathe and how am I going to escape this place? Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting you brought up that people get stuck in there and it's awful. And then they're reaching out and they're looking for help and, and what they're getting oftentimes either temporizes or more often off doesn't seem to work for long. And so you're kind of stuck in this burning house for long periods of time. And it's funny because I remember meeting some people that um, they get sick of it. Like I remember someone, I don't remember where I saw her. I think I, I this was, this was years and years ago back when I was still doing all the crazy stuff that, it, that, that it, we, you know, poking people and all this crap. But um, she, I told her I was a pain specialist and she's like, oh yeah, I used to go see one. I think she, she might've been the checkout stand. 
for neck pain. And then she's like, and I'm like, well, you know, I, I, most of the stuff that, that we do, I, I wouldn't recommend anymore. And she goes, yeah, it didn't do anything. So I just quit going. And I'm like, well, how's your pain? She goes, it's still there. It's just don't bother going to these people because it was such a waste of time. And I, so I, you got the people that tried and then they just get so sick of it. They're like, I'm going to do my own thing. You have the people that tried and then they, they get even worse. Right. And they get stuck in this pit. Um, but I think it's, the key thing is if, you know, we talk about providing hope is if you, if you learn this stuff and you understand it, you can get better. Right. You know, and, um, I, I, that's, that's the, that's the biggest part. So the people who get sick of the system, they can actually get better. The people who are stuck in the system, they can get better. If you're working in the system, you can actually do better. And that's super cool. I mean, that's, that's kind of the goal. I think that would be the goal, at least for most of us. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, that people think a lot of times that if it's, if the pain is getting my attention, the pain's like really intense, and it's getting my attention, then it's got to be something seriously wrong. And I think sometimes there's half of why they, you know, patients go to someone um, to have this pain addressed is not only just because they want the pain to go away, but it's got in many times, it's a feeling that this has got to be something pretty bad or significant for it to be feeling so painful. Um, and so I think people take these bigger risks thinking that it's, you know, there's a really good reason that they have to do this. Um, but I think some people become a little bit more, um, they, they're a little bit more enlightened once they realize, okay, well, I've been going through this and it's not getting better. And sometimes it's, they realize, okay, well, this is not like I'm, like something bad is going on, like this is an emergency. It's just kind of like trying to help with the pain. I think there's some people that finally the light goes on that they're just trying to palliate this pain without dealing with whatever underlying issue there is. So, you know, some people go to yoga and they realize they're better. And it's like, they don't really have a good explanation of the pain. They just kind of experientially realize that didn't work. I'm going to take it in my own hands and try some stuff that I heard from a friend and that happens to work for them, even though they still don't really understand pain. And I, and I think that's more common than almost anything else. Yeah. Right. People find something that works or temporizes or whatever, and they stick to it rather than saying, how can this be better? Um, I think there, there, there is, there, there's a couple of interesting points though. Cause when you're talking about, well, if the pain is severe, people are, are concerned that something must be seriously wrong. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't necessarily argue with that. The problem that I, that I would say though, is people then automatically assume that be, something must be seriously wrong physically with me. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of, that's when they're, they're going, oh, there must be something wrong in my back or in my head or whatever. And they're getting stuff cut and poked and, and lots of really high intensive therapies and things like that, rather than saying, and, um, and we've, I think we've touched on this somewhere, but instead of assuming that pain equals damage, to understand that pain is, is a danger, something physical is one potential dangerous threat but there are multiple other ones so if you have back pain and it flares every thanksgiving because your mother-in-law is coming to town <laughs> it's not because your spine's disintegrating the threat isn't your back itself yeah. it's something else and so being able to clue into those factors and you know granted i, I love my mother-in-law but some mother-in-laws could be a serious danger that could be a serious threat out there <laughs> and that pain's going to be trying to protect you from it so um I, I so i think it's not necessarily wrong that there's something you know 
the oh, if it's you have a severe pain, there it doesn't necessarily mean. I think there's a serious dangers there, and then being able to view pain and understand that there's, it's it's all different threats. It's not just the physical ones, the physical, right. the social, the environmental, the contextual, the emotional, the financial, and things like that. Yeah, you know, you just made me think about how, you know, this ability for the brain to change the you know, neuroplasticity or this plasticity or plastic nature of, you know, the brain or the whole nervous system for that matter, or I like to just say bi or bioplastic, our entire system is like picking up on information and, you know, subconsciously, unconsciously, we're not all fully aware of that. But what's interesting is that when you bring up something like that to someone who's in pain and they haven't had pain up until a certain point, they're like, well, nothing in my life has changed until now. I have pain. So there's no like obvious thing. I, you know, you say it's this and that, but I've always had this, you know, it, it's easy to normalize your life and all these contrib potential contributors, you know, could be some physical tension. I mean, heck, you could be sitting in a chair for 10 hours straight and never move. And, you know, your body's like a little mad at you, if you want to say it that way. And it's trying to get you to move, um, you know, whatever it is. Or, you're fuming about something your mother-in-law did, you know, whatever it is, all these things could be contributing. But if your life is like that all the time and it's become normalized, you, you don't realize this, this ability and feel free to give your perception of this, but just how things can build over time. I, I like to use the example of like, if you had a wire, like a, I don't know, uh, or even like coat a, a coat hanger. Yeah. And you keep, <laughs> bending it and okay well you've been doing that let's say you did that for like two days or all day long and it finally broke at the end of the day well you can't say well that stuff you were doing didn't cause it because you were doing it before and it never broke it's it's a process that over time can culminate and create enough stress over time various types of stresses on our body emotional physical whatever you want to say but at some point there's a, a breaking point or it gives and it can't take any more. And it, in a way it's trying to protect you, get your attention, alert you, whatever. So it's real easy for us to kind of minimize the fact that these things could be contributors until you actually change your life and, and see how those things improve or potentially improve. Um, and I like to, I'm going to say an example, I'll let you chime in, but I remember taking care of a, I don't think I brought up this example. I took care of a patient who was getting their second cataract done. So they'd already had their first cataract and they were nervous about that one. But the second one, they're a lot more excited. They're in good spirits. Can't wait for this outcome on the second eye. I happened to do the anesthesia and I was just, you know, this particular person was a smoker and they were talking about, man, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how, how much my vision had like improved, like literally overnight. I didn't even realize that my vision was getting bad. And, and so she gave me this perfect timed situation where I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of like you're smoking. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually got a high five from this patient. This patient was like, oh, she got me. And literally she realized that there can be a process that happens so slowly that you convince yourself that there's not a problem until the problem becomes a problem and you reverse it suddenly and realize, oh, it was a problem. So um, that to me was those two examples of how we can like 
get used to something and think that, or we think that it has to be one moment that something has an impact on our life versus like a process or, you know, the, you know, just this other example of this process until you reverse it, you know, like the cataract, you know, removal, put the clean, you know, clean lens in where you finally can see through, you realize, oh yeah, it was a dirty look, you know, dirty lens. Um, so it's just funny how the mind works and how we can convince ourselves. Well, our brains are extraordinarily adaptable, mm-hmm. right? And we can compensate over time with almost anything up to a point, right? And so it's, you know, it, it's, it's very similar to say heart disease. People just don't develop an acute myocardial infarction for no reason. There's something else that was involved. And then for most people, there was a progression that occurred over time until that tipping point, if we're going to use that kind of terminology. On the same way, that's a physical example. But if you've ever been angry, there are periods when you can hold your temper in. And then I'm, but there are other times when you snap. Why do we call it snapping? Mm-hmm. Is because it just breaks down. Does that mean you're some sort of psychopathic weirdo? No, it means you're human. And there's a point where you, you know, your, your natural innate tolerance gets to the point where it's exceeded. And at that point, we react in a way that is excessive. Uh, and, you know, if, and for pain and actually humanity, you know, we have this innate resiliency. The human body is one of the most remarkable human brain and body is one of them. It's just, it's just amazing. Like, it's just amazing what it can do. But we also have to remember that our greatest resiliency in our greatest plasticity, you know, we're talking about bioplasticity and things like that, the ability to, and you can just, and that, and that sounds all fancy, but you just think about it like a muscle. You're using a muscle. It gets stronger over time. Now, granted, if you never rest that muscle though, you can potentially injure yourself if you keep doing that same activity over and over and over a time. And your brain and your body is the same way. You have to both challenge them and then relax and let them rest and recover. When we're younger and we have sort of an, uh, a, a more aggressive innate resiliency. So our ability to tolerate things is much easier when we're younger. Um, this is a horrible example, but if you ever drank and if you ever drank too much, I can tell you in college, I, I can't remember exactly how old I was before I had my first hangover. And it wasn't because I was naturally immune to hangovers. It was the fact that my body was pretty resilient. And at some point, you put, uh, overcome that threshold and then you actually feel. Now, for me now, I don't drink hardly at all because I, I just don't recover like I used to when I was younger. But, you know, if the, so basically it's saying your body, if you think about it like a muscle, your muscles grow and adapt and can adapt to change relatively quicker while you're younger. As we get older, they can still adapt and change, but we have to listen to them a little bit more, including your brain, and then being able to have some periods of recovery in there. Um, now, from a pain and stress standpoint, though, we got to recognize that while we always want to think in th- physical terms, our brains perceive non-physical things in the exact same way. If I show you an illusionary tiger, your body and your brain are going to respond exactly the same if you believe that's a real, as is if you believe it's a real tiger, right? If that, that physiological process is exactly the same. It doesn't, and you know, as long as you believe that stress or that threat is real, whatever type of real it is, your body is going to develop a response and your brain is going to develop a response to it. And if we're not giving it time to either back off and recover or take care of the brain and the body, at that point is when we're going to kind of be over, 
you're going to kind of tip that threshold and then we can decompensate of which pain is just one of many different things that we can see. You just gave me some, uh, a couple of examples. I don't want to forget the, um, so I think of, you know, when you're younger, you tend to be pretty darn resilient, especially from a physical sense. Um, but there is, you know, when you think about like, even nowadays, when you look at the generation right now, because people are probably wondering, well, how is this pain knowing about pain? How does that even like apply to other parts of our life? But, but children of this generation, if we are giving them trophies for everything and allowing them to just have, you know, not struggle, have challenge and have to deal with these internal emotions and, and thoughts. And, and if we're making, if we're coddling them and making it too easy, then when they're younger, um, when they're supposed to be the most resilient, when they get older, it, you know, there's this propensity for them not to be able to handle the stresses that are laid upon them as they have all their adult responsibilities later on. Now, on the other side, there's also, you just look at, you know, you could have PTSD. You know, there's a difference between a little bit of a challenge and like whole body overwhelm or whole system overwhelm. And there's, there's that benefit, kind of like you said, you work the muscle, but it needs some time to recover. It can't be so much of a challenge that it literally threatens the whole system where it becomes on guard and actually doesn't handle things well anymore because it's over revved, so to speak. So I, I think, you know, you can use it in so many ways that the, a little bit of stress, what people call like you, you stress, a little bit of positive challenge that you can adapt to and you can handle and you see it still as positive, even if it's temporarily felt negative, like you can move on and, and, and grow from that. But if you just slam the system too much, too hard, then that's, you know, children that have these, these stresses, adverse childhood events, really puts them in a place where they're on guard probably too much, um, potentially for the rest of their lives if it's, you know, not addressed. But, you know, these, these kids that are, you know, that really aren't learning how to be resilient to handle, you know, I just, I worry about, regardless of, we're not gonna get into guns and all this stuff, but if people cannot regulate their system, can't handle stress, because when they're the most resilient, we made them not challenged enough, at least didn't give them a sufficient amount of challenge, so they had the confidence to self-regulate, then we're gonna end up in a, a not a good place. So anyway, I went off topic, but I think no, it's all not, not, not too much, I mean, and it is, it's a balancing act, right? Yeah. So it's, we're, we're, we adapt to change and we need change. And if we don't have change, we, we decompensate. Mm -hmm. So, and if you think about for the, the, the kid example, like um, helicopter parenting and we all, and as a parent, you want to do it. It's kind of difficult to let your kids fail or fall down. But if you're out, you know, if, the, if there's a baby on the floor and the baby wants something and you're just picking the baby and bringing it up, it's never going to learn to walk. And then all of a sudden it's outside and then someone, you need to go pick it up and it can't walk because it's never had the opportunity to stand up and fall down, stand up and fall down. We don't do that with babies. But when it comes to other things, it's the same thing. You have to have those small little challenges and you have to actually fail from some of those challenges so that you can develop the skill set to learn and recover and improve from it. That's called the process of learning. Mm -hmm. now, and and like, you, like you said, though, we're obviously not going to take that baby and throw it out and say, you're going to run a marathon now. <laughs> Be, you know, that's way too much challenge. And in the same way, you can have an acute stressor that is so overwhelming. I don't care who anybody is. You know, I, I, I talk a lot about pain and I'm, I, and I understand it really well, 
but that being said, I know if I was in a certain situation and people did certain things to me and took, took, you know, started, you know, boxing off my options, I could get broken. You know, it's, it, so it's not a, it's not a, because I don't have someone to think, well, some people are strong and other people are weak. No, anybody can be broken if the stressors are too much. And in those situations, what we want to do though, if you kind of understand it in advance, you, I do think it helps with recovery if you're in a supportive environment. And on the flip side, if you haven't learned and you've had these acute stressors, if you had PTSD uh, and we don't necessarily diseaseify it to the point, people can recover from that as well. But um, yeah, so it's, it's this rocking kind of balance. It's, like, it's, uh, it's basically bear, baby bear care, right? Not too much, not too little, just right. Just right. Just it, right. That is so true. And so you're telling me that you're human and that you yes, can be Yes, I know. It's amazing. <laughs> I actually, I'm gonna, I, so I, for those of you who don't have a, I have a, um, a, a email and I, I have I send emails to some people who kind of follow me for other things. And I'm going to write a topic on this about um, uh, the father of positive psychology. So that's Martin Seligman and he does, uh, you know, he's a professor. I think he's at Penn. Uh, he's written all these books about positive psychology and, you know, this and that and optimism. Yeah. But he started where he started his original research before he became the father of positive psychology was like the most depressing, awful stuff in the world where you're basically shocking animals and you're taking things that are very happy and you're putting them in these situations where you break them. That's essentially yep. what he was doing. Yep. And, uh, and, I, and I find that really interesting because, you know, pain is, it's the more you learn about pain, you see the good and the bad. So if you understand the factors that really worsen it, you can figure out what the factors are that are the counter to those factors and that can actually improve it. Um, but yeah, man, I, you know, I, it's a little terrifying to me because if you, if you, it, it wouldn't be too hard to break somebody. Yeah. <laughs> well, know? if you think, yeah, if you think about depression, like mm-hmm. you can literally make someone massively, you can figure out how to make yourself depressed. There are ways to find, like you can isolate yourself, you can put yourself in darkness, not move, sit yourself in a little four by four foot little space and, you know, everything. Think horrible thoughts. Um, but then you could go outside and, and go for a walk and talk to people that really like lift you up and think you're amazing. And like, you're just like night and day experience, yeah. you know? So you got to like surround yourself by those as much as you're in control of, um, you know, be part, that's just one aspect, but it's a certain kind of pain. Well, and that, and that rolls it back to the beginning is because the more that you understand pain and the contributors and what makes, you know, what are, what makes things worse and what makes things better, the more than you can develop lifestyle and behavior and relationships and your environment that facilitates all the good stuff and minimizes the bad stuff. So then that process becomes one of improvement rather than this kind of morass in here, the living in the smoke of the fire where you can't get out of because you don't know, you don't know where the doors are. You don't know where the windows are and things like that to get out. Yeah. Well, I think the opposite of pain is wellness. I mean, that's in my opinion, um, unless you want to get strict on the definition, I feel like the more we optimize our wellness, the less pain. I, you know, I don't, I don't like that. The reason I don't like that is it, 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 sort of, it, it infers some kind of that pain is bad, you know, and I wouldn't say, I think. Okay. Suffering. Very How about suffering? Opposite of suffering as well. I, I would say the opposite of pain is not feeling is anesthesia. The absence of feeling. Mm, okay. <laughs> well, 
I guess it depends how we're looking at it. I'm thinking of uh, the way we master our pain is optimizing our wellness. How about that? I like, I, I would say that if you want to master your pain. <laughs> we're not always going to agree. That's okay. No, no, um, no. But, but I, it all depends on the, the lens we're looking through, which that makes sense. Um, I was going to say another example of, because when you say why it's important to understand pain and how it applies to other things in our life, I was thinking about how our body tries to protect us. And we'll talk in the next time about what pain is, but there's other ways that your body tries to protect you. And I was just thinking about how the first time I saw a surgery saw someone getting some numbing medicine put in their face and I was ready for blood and cutting and all this stuff, but I was not expecting the numbing medicine in the face for it to change the structure of what the face looked like. Let me just put it that way for our sensitive listeners. But I literally did not, it's what the brain didn't expect. So I was not, I was not prepared and I think it was threatening to my visual. <laughs> and I literally started getting, I was starting to fade out and had to step out of the room and almost, you know, passed out. <laughs> but I had to prepare my brain for that. And I went back in, forced myself to kind of become desensitized. But if you look at how not too much, not too little, if you want to become like desensitized or be able to handle an environment or a situation, for me, you know, in that particular case, like just throwing me in there without any preparation or mental, you know, visualization or something or the smells or the visuals, then I was putting myself in a predicament that I could pass out, hit my head. I mean, could even die from a bleed. I mean, that's, it's going to be serious. Um, but if you prepare it, you see a lot of medical professionals doing things that most people in the public could never handle, not on first exposure. So, and not everyone, but there are certain people they're not prepared for that. So you know, I, I brought this up because it may not be pain, but your body has a way of getting your attention. <laughs> Very good at that. Yeah. It, it didn't like what I saw. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, this is threatening. Get out of there or pass out now. So um, anyway, any thoughts? No, I, I, I totally agree. You know, pain is just one of many protective systems. Mm-hmm. And that's, and I think that's the, that's the thing is I don't want to, I don't think, I don't see pain as the enemy. I don't think see pain is a bad thing. Pain is just pain, and it serves a it serves a very important purpose. I know that can be extra, be extraordinarily challenging, and if people are suffering and are in it for long, long periods of time, they may look at me like I'm crazy. But it's trying to protect you from something. The question then is, what's the threat that it's trying to protect you from? And even just that little perspective shift, though, of not thinking of oh, pain is bad, but as what is it trying to protect me from? That that lens that you're looking at it through is more of a positive, less dangerous lens because it's almost thinking like, you know, who's my, you know, you may have a, a bodyguard and if that bodyguard sees something and then pushes you to the ground, violently pushes you out of the way and you may think that that's horrible, but then do you think your bodyguard was doing that because they hate you? No, they were trying to protect you from the bullet or the assassin or the car or whatever. And in the process, it wasn't exactly a pleasant experience for you. And I just, you know, I, I'd rather people view pain as like a bodyguard rather than a punisher that's trying to trying to do stuff to you. Yeah, and I think we'll we'll touch on, you know, when we talk about pain a little bit, we'll talk about a special condition too that relates to um, not getting the input that most human beings get. It's a very rare mutation that doesn't allow people to have uh, as much input as most people 
Um, and so it threatens their life. Um, you know, to we were supposed to talk about that last time, were we? I don't think we did. Yeah, we, we were, and then you said, Well, we should probably talk about what pain is first, and then we could talk about I'll oh, say yeah. I'll I'll prelude it into a congenital insensitivity to pain, which we will correct and say that that's probably a misnomer and needs to be rephrased reframed. and renamed. Reframed yeah. and renamed. And I know that people are actually looking at it, so we'll we'll discuss that later. But um is there anything else you want to chat about from our discussion today or do you want to? No, I think that, I think that's good. I think okay. that's good. Well, thank you all for joining the Pandora podcast with Dr. Kevin and myself, Dr. Katie. And we look forward to bringing a little bit more understanding about what pain is and how it serves us and, and dive into a little detail there. So you have a better perspective and why we're saying what we're saying when we say that it is important to understand pain, not only for the moment of having pain, but for dealing with life in general. So until that's next right. time, Dr. Kevin well. says, be well. Stay well. Stay well. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, folks. Thank you for joining us today on the Pandora podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know through a five-star rating on iTunes or your current podcast listening service. And be sure to check out the information and resources available at Pandora.com.